Hi again, and welcome to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. This week, we talked to Scott Hurlbert, Assistant City Manager of Shafter, California. Several years ago, Shafter City leaders decided a municipal network was a must to ensure future economic development. The community was, and still is, transitioning from an agricultural economy to a more diverse mix of industry and manufacturing. Like water and electricity, Shafter recognizes that broadband is critical infrastructure to promote growth. Our regular listeners will note that Shafter is unique because it does not have an electric utility. Nevertheless, this community is in the middle of an expansion and has built its network incrementally with no borrowing or bonding. Here are Chris and Scott. Welcome to another episode of Community Broadband Bits. Uh, today, I'm up in Minneapolis again talking with my guest who's in Shafter, California. I'm speaking with Scott Hurlbert, the Assistant City Manager of Shafter. Welcome to our show. Well, thank you very much, Christopher. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. Uh, we're excited to learn a little bit more about your network. I've I've long known that there was something happening in Shafter. I think a fair amount of our guests are, are always curious to learn about a city they haven't heard of before. Uh, maybe we could start with you telling us a little bit about what Shafter's like. Sure, that would be uh, that would be fine. Uh, Shafter is a uh, what we consider a small town, uh, 17,000 residents currently. Uh, we're in the California's Central Valley. Uh, uh, just above the town of Bakersfield, which is the largest town near us. Um, and and we're between highways, so a lot of people even in the Central Valley aren't familiar with Shafter. We're, we're between the two north-south highways that run down California's uh, Central Valley, uh, Interstate 5 and, and Highway 99. Um, we're a, a, a city that has, is in transition from being a primarily agricultural heritage uh, but in more recent years, the past 15 to 20 years, is, is transitioning into being a, uh, a favorite home for large distribution and manufacturing concerns. And uh, the proximity of the railroad lines, uh, also the two north-south rail lines in California, pass through the Shafter city limits, and that is, has definitely been an attraction to some of these businesses. So as the, the city's transitioning away from uh, just focusing on the agricultural um, aspect of the local jobs in the economy. Uh, my understanding was that you had started to look at your broadband situation and decided that the city itself needed to take some action. So can you take us back a little bit in history and, and talk about uh, why the city decided to make its initial investment and, and what sort of investment it made? The, the incumbent telecommunications provider here, um, and for good business reasons, is it made, it, it made it difficult for a business to locate here out in the the middle of an undeveloped area, and uh, and get high-speed service in particular uh, quickly and and economically. Um, and when we started seeing the requirement that broadband was available move higher and higher on site selector lists of folks that come out and find locations for businesses like this, um, they have a checklist of requirements. And when I joined the city in 2005. Uh, Telecommunication and broadband were were in the middle of that list. Uh, over the years, that requirement moved up the list. So now it's usually the second or third question they ask is is broadband available, and in, in particular, is fiber available? Um, the city started seeing it as an econo- economic development tool to to help shorten that cycle, make broadband more easily accessible to our industrial areas 
and uh, and also some benefits to the city itself as far as communication between our our different locations uh, for city business and schools and and so forth. The the experience that we've found is that it's exactly as you described it, which is a checklist, which is to say that um, having a robust uh, having robust access to the internet does not necessarily mean you're going to get businesses, uh, but it does mean that places will refuse to even consider you as an option, and, and that's basically what you were experiencing. That's correct. It's it has become more of a uh, standard expected utility or infrastructure, just as uh, roads and sewer and water service. The expectation that that accessibility to broadband is is there is it's just assumed at this point. So when you started looking at these uh, these networks, uh, at that time, a lot of the cities uh, in the United States were thinking about building wireless networks, and some of them did, and some of them uh, partnered with other companies like uh, Earthlink that it really didn't work out well. But as I looked at your history, it seemed like you understood very quickly that wireless uh, wasn't the uh, the sole solution that was needed. That's correct. We we did. We we looked at uh, wireless mesh technology in particular uh, was was emerging at the time in 2005 2006. Uh, but when we looked at the demand curve for broadband and and what businesses were using and what technologies were emerging, um, you have to remember 2006 was prior to the uh, the real estate bubble, and so. Our business plan really was focused around a full fiber to the home implementation, and uh, there were large residential uh, developments planned within our city limits, and those really were the the foundation of our strategy for that short period of time. Um, and mesh, it was it seemed obvious to us anyway that that a mesh technology just was not going to be able to scale and handle a full. Uh, broadband to the home implementation that the, the mesh would be overwhelmed, and you had to build a certain amount of fiber infrastructure to backhaul the mesh system anyway. So if we were going to build that uh, that fiber backbone, uh, let's do it strategically. Let's take it to the places that we know there is a demand uh, almost immediately, and uh, we'll figure out the uh, the connections to the individual premise as we go. When you have that opportunity to build the fiber straight to the green fields before they're even developed into the housing developments, that's that's just the best case you can have. Um, unfortunately, as you said, uh, that was right before the bubble burst, um, and so um, those subdivisions didn't come through. Uh, but nonetheless, you had already made some investments. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how much the city spent and what the what it what it ended up building and some of the benefits um, of that first phase in the mid 2000s? But in that same time frame, we uh, we determined that we needed to get our feet wet with with fiber in general, and and we designed a uh, approximately four mile downtown core to connect uh, our city facilities, uh, a county court facility, uh, some schools, and and uh, we got pricing from the local telecom provider to to build those links, and they were very, very high. The the initial cost was high. The monthly recurring cost was high. Uh, we looked at the number of T1s that we had in place at the time and how many we forecast in the future, and the numbers seemed to, uh, to pencil out to go ahead and build our own fiber backbone in the downtown core part of the city 
Um, and in fact, that's what we did. We spent about $140,000 on that, uh, eliminated all our T1s, didn't buy any new T1s. And that phase of the project has paid back in, in less than six years. Um, and we've had, in, in the place of those pairs of T1s previously, we replaced that with one gigabit connections between all the facilities. So uh, a huge jump in, in performance, reliability, a drop in recurring costs. And, uh, and to date, that, that system is six years old, or uh, roughly, and um, we've had zero fiber-related outages. And um, well, if I could so just quite an improvement. That's, that is a, quite an improvement. I mean, it's a 333-fold increase without increasing your cost at all. I mean, going from 3 megabits a second to 1,000 megabits a second is, is just incredible without increasing your cost. Exactly. But let me ask you, when you say we, uh, I'm just, I'd really like to just spend a minute on that because a lot of the cities we talk to have a municipal electric utility, and that utility already has some uh, experience building a fiber network because of running fiber to substations or maybe some microwave links. But at any rate, uh, a lot of the municipal utilities have uh, an expertise of doing this sort of thing that um, that I would suspect Shafter didn't. And so, was it was it at all daunting to you, or how was Shafter able to make that leap into being uh, confident that it could build the network itself? Well, it, it was a little daunting. Uh, my background, uh, I was hired here as the IT manager, so I had a technology background, but no expertise specifically in fiber networks. And so. Uh, there was quite a, a learning curve both for the vocabulary and learning what the best practices are. And, and key to our success, I think, was partnering with a, uh, a consulting company who, who helped us along during that phase. They had put in uh, municipal networks in other communities throughout the western United States and, and had that expertise. They could guide us, and, and we found with kind of small steps at first and then uh, larger steps later, we we could, had confidence in their abilities, and and the uh, uh, the plan worked, and so that that gave us the confidence to take the next step. But but that is a very good point. When I say we, I talk about the city as a as a team, and um, but I also include these these consultants that have worked with us and and guided us along the way. And I think most valuable there is to not repeat the mistakes that have happened in other places. And having someone that can come and sit down and, and look at a map of the city and say, uh, well, here's where it needs to go and here's why, uh, putting it over here is a bad idea. And uh, that has saved us a lot of heartache and I'm sure a lot of money as well. What are some of the other benefits of, of the network? Um, we covered that the obviously you have this incredible new capacity for the uh, city facilities. Um, there's some cost savings, uh, especially when one considers that um, a lot of the prices from carriers go up every year. Um, but are there any unanticipated benefits that you've seen from owning and operating your own network? Probably the most obvious was the benefit to the local school district. We have a, a kindergarten through eighth grade uh, local district, and then our high school is part of a larger county uh, uh, district. Uh, but we were able to provide dark fiber to the local K through eight district um, through the state of California's E-rate program. And I don't think that's unique to California, but it's a, a subsidy that's collected on the uh, the phone bills of everybody in the state and, and creates a fund that provides uh, uh, partial funding for 
telecom services in um, in rural type or uh, depressed type of community environment where the the local district might not be able to afford those services. So that process uh, required the city to become an E-rate vendor and then provide the dark fiber service to the district. In our case, um, the the subsidy fund picks up 90% of that cost. Uh, the, the city is able to charge a, a normal competitive rate for those services, but the local district only has to pay 10%. So a tremendous benefit to the to the school district they were using antiquated wireless connections previously and, and also were able to upgrade to one gig service. Um, a benefit to the city, we are able to extend our fiber infrastructure and get it paid back over a, a period of years. And beyond that payback provides an ongoing revenue source to help maintain the entire network. Um, so that's, that's one of the unforeseen benefits. I think another is in our, uh, uh, some of our rural areas where the industrial parks are, we're able to deploy uh, cameras that help uh, prevent and, and identify criminal activity. Um, and, and that's that capability with the, the current phase we're working on now is going to increase again significantly. You said that the funds are coming in from the uh, the, the steps you've already taken in building your network. So um, a lot of cities that have that have plans for how to expand um, using those additional funds. Uh, are, are there any expansion plans that you're working on? The the ability to to build the network in the first place using city general fund monies rather than a grant or or some sort of bonding effort. Uh, was really part of a, a longer-range economic strategy that, that the city of Shafter uh, adopted some time ago, uh, 15 or more years ago. And that was to decouple ourselves from the traditional sorts of municipal funding streams that, that trickle down from the state and take more control over our destiny by getting proper zoning in place, getting uh, lands uh, ready for development for, for industrial use, for rail access, um, we built sewers and water infrastructure uh, before it was needed, so that wouldn't be an impediment for businesses to locate here. As a result, the the industrial and commercial growth that has occurred here has has provided the city with an ongoing source of revenue that can be used for public safety, for educational programs, and for expanding our infrastructure like fiber, like streets, and like sewer. So that has given us an economic base that is much more stable, and it's also given the the city council and the city manager the the ability to be patient and waiting for these programs to start bearing fruit. If I'm understanding correctly, then what you're basically saying is the city has has focused very intently on making sure that it has all of the infrastructure it needs uh, to, to do really thrive in the modern economy. And that from your perspective, and probably for a long time it sounds like, um, access to the internet was considered to be a part of this essential infrastructure that's needed by the community. That is correct. And, and not only essential going backwards, but absolutely critical going forward. And uh, the, the types of businesses that are locating here, some are highly automated uh, manufacturing plants. They're operated from from other parts of the country by people who have never even visited the plant. 
And so that, that access to, to broadband connectivity is absolutely critical. Uh, the public safety aspect as well. You know, a lot of times people think, oh, if it's just manufacturing, it's manufacturing. But, um, you know, the U.S. is having some amazing growth in this very high-end manufacturing, and you need to have these 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 networks. Um, but anyway, I'm digressing a little bit. Uh, you were going to continue on with discussing more about um, the future plans of the network and, and how it's been uh, financed. Going back to this, uh, this cycle, if you will, of, of investing in the infrastructure, bringing in businesses that provide uh, funding to the city itself, not only can we provide uh, typical kinds of city services, but we can continue to pour some of that revenue back into investing for even further growth. And the case in point is uh, today we're under construction for a 25-mile expansion of our network. So we're going to go from from four miles in the core part of the city to a a 30-mile ring that will encompass the entire city limits perimeter. It will. This new ring will pass through um, two areas that are in, industrial in nature and are expanding rapidly. It will also pass through that same residential area that didn't develop back in the early 2000s, uh, but now we're starting to see some increased interest in that area, and we expect houses to start being built there within the next uh, 18 to 24 months. This phase that's under under construction now will will raise the backbone uh, performance of our network to a 10 gigabit uh, metro Ethernet. Uh, we'll have multiple rings, and uh, some will be used exclusively by the city for um, for communication between our facilities, uh, traffic cameras, uh, traffic control, monitoring of our water uh, tank sites, and so forth. Uh, very important to to the continued growth and the rapid pace of growth. And we also have some particular industrial facilities that are coming in that uh, insist on having redundant telecommunication connections. So uh, in the absence of our network, yeah, that would be very difficult to do. We're, we're in a, uh, a non-metro area, really, and we've got an incumbent, but really everybody else runs over the incumbent's last mile. So we provide that secondary last mile and an alternative and a, a, a secondary path for those types of companies that require it. So as you're, as you're expanding this network, though, um, you're not really offering services to the businesses that are going to be connected. Am I understanding that right? You're actually going to be enabling connections for other ISPs to operate on your network. That's correct. Our our current business model is not for the city to become an ISP ourselves, but rather to be a last mile provider, um, and in some cases, kind of a middle mile provider even. But to to lower the the barrier of entry for competitive either CLECs or ISPs to come in and offer their services in Shafter, where there might not be enough uh, potential customers for a company to make an entire investment in a brand new infrastructure. But in our case, if they can place a piece of equipment in a rack that we provide and make it to the customer premise over a last mile we provide uh, and pay a modest fee for that, we lower that barrier and we increase the number of choices and hopefully the quality and the pricing of those products to the to the customers inside Shafter. Right, and as as you said in our in our pre-discussion, you know you're well aware of those who have 
invested heavily to build a network using this manner where they're not an ISP. Um, some of those networks have struggled financially, um, but what we've seen is that among the cities that have taken an approach that you're describing, this this incremental approach where you're not borrowing, you're not going to have to worry about interest rates, driving up debt payments, you can just expand the network. It's it's already paid for, uh, and that makes the uh, this open access type approach with multiple ISPs. It really makes it work, and and so I, I have to assume that that a lot of the businesses there are excited to see uh, you uh, complete this installation. They are. We're we're getting a lot of interest, and in, and in we hadn't been uh, secretive about it, but you know we hadn't done a lot of marketing ahead of this construction, but now that they see a, a conduit going into the ground, I've been approached uh, uh, on a regular basis by companies along the route who are now uh, very interested in, in getting on board and finding out what's going to be available. And I, and I think you point out an important point. The, the aha moment for us was to, to step back and take a look at the fiber infrastructure as a utility like anything else, or a, a part of the city infrastructure like everything else. We aren't building a telecom company here. We're not expecting our fiber infrastructure to be a major revenue source for the for the city any more than a water line or a sewer line is a, is a revenue source. We want those utilities to pay for themselves through user fees, but it's an enabling infrastructure, and it's something that uh, will promote growth promote uh, a better business environment and ultimately a better residential environment. Um, and so uh, getting that monkey off our back where we had to make this thing um, profitable from day one really helped us to, to get a, the priority set properly and, uh, and start looking at this as a business development investment rather than uh, building a, a telecom company. Is there anything else that we should know about Shafter before we uh, sign off for the day? Shafter turns 100 years old this year, and so we, we have a lot of activity going on around that. Terrific. Our, our centennial celebration. And, uh, um, you know, we are we are a small town, but really some big ideas here, and I think uh, uh, to a large part can be attributed to uh, uh, a city council that really cares about the town and puts them first in a in a city management culture that um, does the same thing. We, we make our decisions based on the benefit of the city, and uh, we've been very fortunate to, to keep politics out of, out of our decision-making process. And I, I think for other folks that work at cities or they're listening to this and thinking about how their town uh, could do something similar, uh, you really cannot underestimate the importance of that, of having a, a patient and thoughtful uh, city government and city staff in place to to get through these things. Because they don't happen overnight. They take some patience from everybody to, to get them done and get them done right. One of the things that you said in, a, in an earlier discussion with my colleague Lisa was uh, that the city needs to have a vision and needs to be you know, patient and diligent. Um, I don't know if you used exactly those words, but that was definitely the theme. And, and I, I'll tell you, we just see that time and time again with the cities that are successful. It's, it's not enough just to have a great idea. You have to stick to it. That's exactly right. And, and as I said, this, business, this whole business philosophy and how to attract businesses to town um, that's a that's a 20 year old idea, and the 
the council and the city staff have stuck to that plan, even when it seemed like, well, maybe this isn't going to work. Uh, they did stick to it, and, and it is paying off, and we're starting to see the benefits now. Excellent. Thank you for coming on the show. Uh, I have no doubt we're going to be checking back in with you as construction proceeds and, and uh, learning more about what you're learning as you move forward. I appreciate it, and uh, I'm glad to come back and give an update anytime. We ought to be lighting up some fiber before the end of this year, and, and it'll be very exciting. Terrific. Thank you. Thank you. To learn more about Shafter's project, visit muninetworks.org and follow the Shafter tag. We'll be sure to bring you updates as the network grows. If there's a community you're curious about and would like us to interview for a podcast, let us know. Likewise, if there are issues related to telecommunications that pique your interest, we welcome your suggestions for future shows. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. You can follow us on Twitter where our handle is at communitynets. The show was released on July 23, 2013. Thank you to the group Break the Bands for their song Escape, licensed using Creative Commons. Thanks for listening.